Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to episode number 360 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is March 2nd, 2015, one day away from USC Spring Football. 2015 is going to get going. It's on Tuesday, March 3rd. It is open to the public, folks, so if you want to come out to Cromwell Field, 3.30 p.m. on Tuesday, 3.30 p.m. on Thursday. You can check out the schedule we put up on uscfootball.com on our Spring Ball Central page, so check that out. Hopefully see you out there for USC Spring Football. Got a big show for you this week on the podcast. Going to talk about Spring Football, of course. Got a bunch of questions to get to. Talk about the basketball team maybe a little bit. we got Dan Weber coming up a little later on. Coach Harvey Hyde in the first segment. we got your questions. If you have questions for us, it's easy. Podcast at uscfootball.com. That's our email address. Or give us a call, 206-888-6755. If you want to leave a voicemail there, try to keep it brief. We will play it on the air and answer your question. Or you go to our website, peristylepodcast.com, and we can answer your question there as well. All right. Well, without further ado, bring it in to Coach Harvey Hyde. You can follow him on Twitter, at Coach Harvey Hyde. That's at Coach Harvey Hyde. You can follow me on Twitter, at Inside Troy. Coach, welcome. What's going on? Hey, Ron. Thank you very much. Uh, everything's great. Uh Back in Southern California, after spending a lot of time, as you know, in Las Vegas because of the uh, tributes and all the different things for Jerry Tarkanian, they had a wonderful one yesterday in the Thomas and Mac, the house that Tark Tark built. About 5,000 people were there, all his uh, former players, most of his former, not all of his former players, but a lot of his former players, Reggie Theus, Ed Ratliff, uh, uh, a lot of the players spoke. it, it was just a wonderful tribute, just a wonderful, wonderful day. Two to four was a ceremony and uh, sort of puts, and I'm not saying a closure to it, but puts to uh, rest a guy that did it his way. They had a singer there that sang that song, uh, Frank Sinatra's song, I'll Do It My Way, which Jerry Tarkanian did. So I'm back now and uh, looking forward to spring practice. And Ryan, it's going to be a, a lot of fun seeing just the development now of the USC Trojan football program, taking it to the next level, the next step, with a, a lot of young players, a lot of great, talented players. And that all starts on Tuesday. And one thing, Ryan, uh, I always look at, I say, man, football seemed to just end. <laughs> and here's these kids now back, right? Here's these kids after, what, a couple of months off after spring training, They're back uh, with their uniform on. Uh, back uh, practicing football, and people say these kids aren't special. Hey, these kids are special. They represent themselves, the university, their family, students, the, the whole thing. They're special, and they really have to compete not only in the classroom, but the competition that goes on in the field is something special too. So I have always said athletes who represent themselves and the university academically and athletically are special. Now, that's an opening we can go from there, but I know you want to talk about Southern California Ticket Service. I do, yeah. I want to thank our sponsor, sctickets.com. It's Southern California Tickets. Call them at 1-800-888-7287. If you want to get tickets for anything here in L.A., Southern California, or across the country, 
You want to go to a concert, go to any sporting event, you want to go to theater, take your wife, take your girlfriend, something like that, go to sctickets.com and they will hook you up. And uh, Coach, so with spring ball starting tomorrow, I wanted to kind of get your perspective on when it was about to start for you, you know, signing day happens, you get a, a month or two after that, and then spring football gets going, like when you were the head coach at UNLV. What was your main kind of goals, like a general goal going into spring? I mean, you're, you don't have a game for months and months, but it's still an opportunity to kind of get young guys playing. What, what was your main goal trying to go into the spring? My, my main goal, uh, Ryan, was we've got to get better in the spring. We've got to be a better football player than we were at the end of the year uh, in the fall, at the end of the football season. We've got to be better than what we were in the holiday bowl. We've got our starting quarterback back. We've got people believing we're off sanctions. Uh, we can uh, now compete. We've had our first class of 25 student-athletes. Uh, we've been blessed with great talent. Now it's uh, competing and, and taking it to the next level. Because USC is a, a type of program, as any program is. The, the coach has a pride pride in the program. It doesn't have to be USC. That Hey, you want to compete to beat the toughest person on your schedule. Who is that person? I don't know who SC plays. But they're all good. So you've got to look at who's the toughest person on your opponent. You recruit towards that, and you practice towards that. And you try to uh, be stronger, faster, bigger, execute better, and find ways to get your players on the field and don't beat yourself. Those are the number one things you've got to emphasize and uh, eliminate penalties, turnovers, all the things that make you a great football team. Now, there's been years that I've thought I've had a great football team and really didn't win, many, win as many games I anticipated I should, which means somewhere along the way I didn't do my job as a head football coach. Somewhere along the way I didn't motivate my coaches or motivate the players or put them in a position to win. And then there's some years you don't have quite the talent that you did in other years and you, and you win big because you're able to motivate your players, motivate your coaches, get your players in the right positions, and, and get uh, past your opponents. So what you've got to do in the spring is get better. You've got to be a little physical. You've got to be able to find out who likes to hit, who likes to play the game of football, who's willing to compete, especially the new players that are coming in. Uh, there's five new players. You want to take a good look at them to see if you can really utilize them in the fall. And when the fall comes around, you now have a base of players that really you, I don't think you're looking for immediate help. Like if this kid doesn't play now, we're not going to win. I think you've got some players that can come in, like Marshall and others, that can make an immediate impact. But you want them to be able to work their way in, and you want them to be able to beat someone out. So there's great morale on your team, and, you, and the players there don't think, oh, they brought him, he didn't even compete, and he's starting. So you're at that point now at USC where you can do that. You've got a staff to spin together for their first year, except for the offensive line coach. And I'm obviously looking to see what's going to happen with the offensive line and how Bob Conley motivates them and makes them better. And the defensive line, of course, there's a lot of question marks there. There's a lot of great talent that's coming in, but they haven't played at the speed of the game that uh, they played in, in high school. They've gone against smaller players. They haven't had to play hard every single down. So you, you really uh, look at the defensive line, you look at everything, and you say, hey, we just got to get better, especially in the kicking game, areas that we've been weak at, areas why we lost football games. We got to correct those areas, even on myself as far as play calling, down distance situations, communications between my coaches during the game. 
We used to practice all the time in game-like situations with headsets, like it's a game, so players get used to practicing on the field without you, without you there correcting them. Run the play and correct it on film. Don't be standing there saying, now you do this and you do that. Run the play and correct it on film. Get as many reps in as you can, and then during the film period that you do in the classroom, you go back and you say, now this is what you did wrong. Don't correct on the field, but you're correcting one player, and 80 players are waiting, or waiting to do the next deal. So it costs you time to correct and coach on the field. You run your plays, you coach doing your drills, and uh, yes, uh, if you can shoot in there, remind you do, but don't slow the game down on the practice field because you can't do it during the game. So practice like the game. That's the number one thing I say. All right, Coach. Uh, get me fired up for spring football. So we've got to be ready. Uh, I think the teams will be fired up. It'll be interesting to watch, and we'll look forward to seeing you out there. So we got a few questions about the team and spring football. You ready for uh, some of the fan questions? Fire away, baby. All right, let's go. So we'll start with an easy one. Tarek, I don't know about easy, but it's a simple, it's a shorter question. Tarek wants to know, with Buck Allen gone, do you believe Justin Davis, who is a similar player to Bishop Sankey in Tarek's mind, can be the next great USC tailback? Well, uh, you know, he certainly did have a great freshman year, and uh, he got injured, but I think he's got great potential. I, I saw him play in the spring, and uh, I think he's a great player. I think he's a, a good talent. You'd have to say he's number one in the spring. Trey Madden is still nursing the way I understand it, his toe, but he don't know what happened to his toe as far as the way they diagnosed it and the way he is. I'm not sure if he's going to go full speed in the spring. You've got James Toll in there, and uh, I tell you one thing, he's going to get a lot of reps. He's going to get a lot of reps in the spring. But then again, you've got some players that are coming in who you think should be the future. They're outstanding backs. This Jones kid, I really like him, the freshman. And if you're a young player uh, and you're coming in, it's probably the easiest spot to play is in the skilled areas, like running backs or receivers. Uh, I think that's easier even than defensive backs uh, because defensive backs, you make a mistake and they got a touchdown. You drop a pass, well, you, it's an incomplete pass, but you, you didn't give up a touchdown. So uh, uh, Justin Davis is going to have to be. He's going to have to be the starting back right off the bat. He's going to have to be healthy. I wouldn't beat him up this spring because I think he's a great player. He's certainly proved himself. Uh, you know, I think you're sometimes uh, beating yourself when you beat up your great players. I mean, uh, I remember John McKay when he was coaching at USC and myself when I had great running backs, wherever I coached. They prove themselves in the game, and during the week, I just want to fine-tune them, fine-tune their body, get them healthy, they're sore, and you don't want to lose them on some freak darn play. So I'd run him in all the drills. He's got to get some uh, hitting in. He's got to be able to be sharp. Beat him up? No. You don't beat him up. You, you let Sumu uh, Venuko and you let Pinner take some reps in there until you get help in the fall with the other running backs. But I would say absolutely Justin Davis has got to be the guy, and absolutely you've got to show him confidence, and absolutely he's got to believe that you believe in him. If you don't show that belief to him, it's very difficult for him to perform at the level you want him to perform at. And I think all eyes are going to be on him this spring, Coach, because he's going to really be the only healthy scholarship tailback out there. So you have two fullbacks that you mentioned, Pinner and, and Vanuku. You're not really sure – 
they didn't recruit any more fullbacks. Is that position going to be basically gone after these two seniors are gone? Are they going to get more reps at, at tailback? I think they will this spring, like you mentioned. Uh, I think we're going to see probably about half half the spring we'll see Trey Madden. It's going to depend on the foot, toe thing, all that stuff that kind of happened with him, how he's coming back from that. But it'll be it'll be interesting to watch, but there's not a lot of bodies there. So how they kind of distribute reps, if you give walk-ons more reps, if you give the fullbacks more reps, they're going to have to because you don't want to beat Justin Davis up uh, through March and you know thinking he's going to be the number one guy coming in August. I agree with you 100%, Ryan. Uh, all right, well, thanks for that question, Tark. Let's go. Let's see. We have – all right, this is about the quarterback situation. We kind of get this uh, a little bit. You know, Cody Kessler, they're, they put out the spring guide coach, and they're kind of pushing him for the Heisman Trophy. Um, obviously had a great year last year. I think it was with 40 touchdowns and, and five interceptions, but there's still a lot of fans that don't feel he's the right guy to be the quarterback. And Jim and Canyon country appears to be one of them. Um, so I'll read you his, his statement question coach and get your thoughts. He says, I imagine that most informed fans like those who watch your excellent videos and also know something about the quote unquote measurables and accomplishments of Max Brown think it's obvious he should compete with Cody Kessler to be the starting quarterback next season. Coach Hyde, don't you think that Pete Carroll or Jim Harbaugh would set up spring and fall practice to fairly and thoroughly determine which quarterback would give the team the best chance to win the Pac-12 or at least win the Pac-12 South? Brown was the National Gatorade Player of the Year, threw for almost 13,000 yards in his three years as a starter, 146 touchdowns, a career completion percentage of 735 and led his team to three straight state championships, winning the last two. So wouldn't you want to see if he might do the exact same thing for USC? Jim and Canyon Country. Well, Jim and Canyon Country, I agree. I think he's a great talent. I think he needs the opportunity to prove himself so that all of us don't have this question in our minds on how good Max Brown is. And I certainly think in the spring he should have that opportunity. As far as Cody Kessler being a starter coming back, I think he should be. He's accomplished what he needs to do. Uh, I think they need to mold the offense a little bit more around his style uh, where he can uh, perform better. And I think that same style would be with different uh, types of series and so on and running plays that would set up his abilities better and use his talent. And I think that talent would fix, fix uh, fit Max Brown. And all the talent that's uh, as far as the quarterbacks that they have at USC currently right now. Uh, I think this spring would be a great opportunity for Max to get a lot of reps and for him to gain a lot of confidence. Even if he's not the starting quarterback this year, he should be the starting quarterback the next year. And you don't want him coming in uh, just uh, without having the experience. He should get a lot of reps here this spring. I really would. I don't think... Cody needs it. Cody needs to just stay sharp, uh, stay sharp, uh, run the plays, uh, get his drills in. But I think also you've got to bring Max Brown along. At least I'm telling you, that's what I would be doing. I would have him run with the ones uh, a lot of the time, run with the ones, run with the ones, run with the ones. Why? Not only is he getting better, but what if something happened to Cody Kessler uh, during fall camp or during a game? Unfortunately, we don't want to even talk about that. But if it happened, you've got a guy that uh, the team has confidence in. And the more he shines, the more he proves he's the guy, the more the team gets behind him and more of the question marks that we're all talking about go away. 
that he is the guy. And I think that's something you have to do, and I think you owe that to him. Now, you have other quarterbacks that are in camp, but you owe it to Max Brown. It's not like you you owe it not that the other guys aren't deserving, but the freshmen, or the redshirt freshmen. Max has been there. He's paid his dues. He deserves this opportunity to prove he's the guy or the guy that's going to be there. Uh, to beat out Cody Kessler, I would say that's a difficult thing to do after what Cody Kessler has done and the way he's come back to play this team, uh, play with this team this year. But I think that also uh, that they they should alter some of their running plays. And, uh, and what do you want to say? Tweak their offense where both of these guys can be better. And I think uh, there's some really good points there, Coach. And if you look at uh, spring our, our spring ball central page, Jim. Uh, Dan wrote a story maybe a week or two ago about um, Max Brown kind of preparing as the co-starter, and he really liked that. He talked to Max Brown about that, and and like like Coach Harvey Hyde was saying, it really does. He, he they're they're going to give him more reps. They're going to give him first team reps. They want him to be prepared like he's a starter, just like Cody Kessler is. But I don't think that anybody but Cody Kessler is going to start, barring some sort of injury. But they really are preparing him, Jim, like that. And I don't know if you've had to do that before, Coach, but it seems like he's been around long enough. Um, they want him to be absolutely ready if something does happen to, to Cody Kessler. And I, I he's he seems really fired up for it. He seems really ready to uh, get in there and, and try to take the reins here at some point. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to watching Max this spring. I understand he's bigger and stronger and throwing the ball better. Uh, not that he never threw the ball good before. He threw the ball well before. But I'm anxious to see what his progression has been and how his maturity has been uh, during the last couple of years as far as what it is this spring. And uh, if he does come up to the level we all expect him to be, uh, it should be a great uh, spring ball for both him and Cody, and the team should get better, just like we talked about. The team has got to get better. And one way the team's going to get better is bring Max Brown along. All right. Well, thanks for that one, Jim. Let's go to Hayden. Uh, he says, I have a question for you and Coach Harvey Hyde about Sua Cravens. I know his position has been a hot topic for the last year, but I don't think uh, it has been looked at uh, from this side. He's supposedly a great player and teammate who is willing to do whatever it takes for the team to win. That being said, is he hurting his draft stock by playing in the box on most downs? The response is always that NFL teams like the versatility, uh, but that certainly wasn't the case with, with Deion Bailey. It's going to look bad on the coaching staff if they took a uh, five-star number one rated safety in Sua Cravens and turned him to a fifth or sixth round too small linebacker. Our record of sending players to the NFL is a huge factor with future recruits. We now have the linebacker depth needed to bump Sua Cravens back to strong safety. Once that move is made, any secondary concerns are gone. Uh, Bring the heat and no more excuses about protecting the secondary. Hayden, alumni from Huntington Beach. Well, you know, I agree. If you have the strength of linebacker, uh, obviously he's great when he's an NFL player in the, in the secondary, which uh, uh, he could be at a lot of positions. Uh, but uh, last year, and uh, they've had to play him as a linebacker because, as I've always said, they got to get the players on the field. And whenever he's on the field – uh, there's electricity there. He's making big plays. And he's he's a he's a big play guy. I would say coming into this next season, he's your big play guy. Uh, so you want to get him in the position where he can make big plays. When he plays one side of the field, he's only got half the field 
that he can make big plays on. If he's a safety back there, he can make plays all over the field. He's an athlete, big athlete, can run, uh, was a running back, as I mentioned before, got great hands, will hit you, doesn't miss tackles, tackles well, and uh, you can bring him on stunts too from the secondary, which he'd be awesome at. So, uh, uh, yes, uh, I agree with you. I think if they have the talent at the linebacker positions, and I hope they do, that he'd be able to go into the secondary. It'd certainly make the secondary more seasoned, stronger. Uh, you have somebody back there lining people up that knows the game and has, brings them a lot of confidence. And uh, I, I think he'd be great back there. I, I really do. And uh, I think that that might be one of the strong points of the defense this coming year is the secondary. I think they've got great athletes. They've recruited great, great athletes to come. And to have a guy like him back there that's had a couple of years of experience, freshman All-American and all of the rest, is the type of guy that uh, I'd want in my secondary. And uh, I think uh, in the middle of the field there, he, he'll make more plays than just on one half of the field. What well, the interesting thing about Sua Cravens, though, is that he is 225 pounds now. So he's he's bigger than the other linebacker, a lot of the other linebackers. How that, big is he now? 225. 225. They have him listed as. I think he's he's around there. So I kind of said this too, Coach. I agreed with you. I thought his future would be the NFL, and I was speaking at an event with our recruiting analyst Gerard Martinez, and he disagreed. He thought that he's going to be getting bigger and thinks that he's going to look more like a linebacker than he will. Uh, a safety. So it'll be interesting to kind of see. He's though big enough now, I think, to be, you know, legitimate. Uh, you know, he's pretty big at 225. He'd be pretty big for a for a safety at this point. So it'll be kind of interesting to to watch his, you know, progression through this year and see what he does. But he just made so many plays in the backfield. I just don't know if if USC could afford not to to have him in there. And we'll we'll see what they they got more depth coming in the fall and everything. But I think for this spring he's going to stay where he is. But I don't know what you think, Coach. Well, I, I really think this. I think you've got to be very careful on getting him too big where he loses quickness and, and the way he moves around. Uh, you, you know, sometimes kids think the bigger I am, the better I am. That's not necessarily true. He, he's great at what the weight he is. And sometimes you've got to be careful on getting too big because you lose a step here and a step there. And you don't play with the same energy level, but you're bigger and you weigh more. So I think you've got to be very careful on developing guys where they get too big, and sometimes you've got to shave it down a little bit. So I think this spring you've got to really evaluate if he's too big or if he still has his quickness, can still run, still tackle, do all of the above. All right, Coach, thanks uh, for answering that. Well, we got one more uh, from Bobby in Lake Elsinore. He said, my question is regards to the new teams added for the future schedules. Utah State, Western Michigan, and UNLV. I really want to see USC go after and play more schools from the SEC. I know they have Alabama coming up, but besides that, why didn't SC have to? Why did SC have to pick up these mediocre teams to play? What do they get from putting these teams on the schedule? Being a season ticket holder, I'm really not that excited to go watch these games in the future. Uh, fight on from Bobby and Lake Elsinore. Bobby, uh, part of it is you can't find people to play you. You can't find people that uh, want to play you. The Southeastern Conference teams really don't want to play you. I believe Texas A&M uh, canceled the game. They've got Texas coming in at a two-year agreement here in the near future. Uh, they want to have seven home games so they can pick up a team, and it's only a one-way contract. What I mean is UNLV, Central Michigan, and Utah State are all coming to the Coliseum, so that gives you an extra game. It should give you an extra win, and when you look at the 
records that you have to look at today. And the Southeastern Conference has done so well as far as playing uh, teams that are not as strong as these teams and uh, hasn't hurt them as far as their ratings and rankings to go on and win national championship and get them bowl games. So there's sort of a trend this way to do that. I'm not saying I like it. I'm saying that uh, it's a trend, and not only that, you make a lot of money. You pay them a guarantee like the UNLV team is getting $1.15 million. I think it's 2019 to come to the Coliseum. In 2019, $1.15 million will be a, a deal for USC. Those ticket prices continue to go up. The teams continue to be better. Television ratings are higher. More income comes in. And for UNLV, uh, uh, it's a good money day for them, but uh, I think they got screwed. Uh, when, I, when I was talking to them, they should have asked for $2 million. I told Steve Lopes that. I wouldn't play you unless you, you gave me $2 million. Not that the last time they didn't play him to a good game. It was 38-21. And if you remember Utah State, when they played him a couple years ago, they played him to a heck of a game in the Coliseum. So it's not that these teams can't play him to a good game, but USC is expected to beat these teams. And there will be heavy favorites over these teams, like 15, 20, 21 points or more. So if they don't accomplish that, everyone feels, ah, it's a letdown. So uh, these teams get ready to play USC. They're they're more or less energetic. They're scared. They get out there and play. And they might might play their best game of the year against the Trojans. It's their dream come true to go to the Coliseum, be on national TV, and play a Pac-12 team, especially USC. So they're dangerous games, too, very dangerous. Because if you don't come ready to play, it can all backfire on you. As you see it all the time, uh, Appalachian State member beat Michigan that year. Oh, yeah. It goes on and on and on. Remember that, Ryan? Yeah, co- co- completely. So you've got to be very uh, aware of that, and you've got to be ready to play. Arkansas State is not something you sneeze at. Uh, so you have to be ready to play uh, uh, these teams. And, and uh, yes, uh It'd be great for season ticket holders to have Alabama, uh, Auburn, and Ohio State. Uh, but again, you've got to remember you've got these other teams you still have to play along with Notre Dame in the Pac-12 now. Is that smart to do? That's not smart to do. But you can't play your best game 12 games every, every week. So sometimes it's good to have a breather game in, in your schedule because you can't be ready to play three non-conference teams like I mentioned and then play the Pac-12 schedule and expect to play them all at the same level of intensity. It just doesn't happen. So uh, you got to have a breather here and there. So for the season ticket holder, it's great to see that type of non-conference schedule. But realistically, it's not the best thing to do. All right, Coach. Well, we appreciate you coming on, and thanks. I'm looking forward to talking to you out at uh, spring football out on Cromwell Field. For uh, it should be interesting next uh, 15 practices over the next six weeks. So definitely stay tuned to uscfootball.com and the Peristyle Podcast. We'll keep you up to date on what's going on. Coach, thanks again for coming on. We'll talk to you soon. Ryan, again, thank you very much. And for all of you that send in questions, uh, we all appreciate it. Not only myself and Ryan, but all the listeners. So send in your question and we'll do our best to answer it. And remember, it's only our opinion. Thanks, Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, Coach. And everyone else, back in a minute talking with USCFootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. 
SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. Oh, man. What's wrong? It's my marketing guy. I can't get in touch with him, and I'm still waiting on simple website changes to get done. Who are you using? Uh, some cheap and easy website company. I just can't get results. It's so frustrating. I never had that problem with my marketing company. I use Circle Marketing. They're always available, very friendly, and do great work. My business has seen improvements. They handled my website, online ads, and much more. Go to CircleMarketing.com and see if they're right for you. CircleMarketing.com, huh? Well, I'll go there right now. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We are back here on the Peristyle Podcast talking about USC Spring Football, which starts tomorrow, March 3rd. Unbelievable, Dan. We're with uh, USCFootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. Hard to believe. Seems like it was only a month ago, which it was, that signing day happened, and now spring football is getting started. It's a... Uh, I don't know where about where you are, Dan, but it's thunder and lightning here, so hopefully we don't got rain tomorrow for uh, spring football. Uh, it hasn't hit, hit Orange County yet, so uh, I'm, I'm sure it's coming this way, it looks like. But, uh, yeah, and then uh, talking about, I think college football is sort of doing what the NFL has done. It's, it's kind of, and probably not necessarily uh, something that it just figured out, but just sort of happened that college football now, and not just in the southeast, is becoming a year-round national story. That, you know, signing day is big enough, you know, with the bowls going later than signing day. Uh, spring football seems to be going earlier almost everywhere. And uh, it just, uh, I think, you know, it's a good thing. That college football has figured out uh, the NFL can be a, you know, 12-month-a-year deal. Uh, so can college football, and it's kind of moving in that direction. Uh, for sure it is. And I think it's going to be really interesting, some of the storylines for the spring this year, Dan. I, you know, We talked about this before, a little bit different than last year with the new staff coming in and trying to you know, just get a feel for what's going on. Now I think it's more of you're trying to replace some guys, you're trying to you know, feel guys out, maybe there's some position switches, and, and you know, five new, you know, five in, excuse me, incoming uh, early enrollees that you get to take a look at for the first time. So I think there's a lot of interesting storylines with this spring. Yeah, and I, I, you know, I think it's interesting also in, in looking at the um, you know, spring football media guide, which is out today. You do pick up some things. Uh, you pick up, uh, you know, that five players, for example, USC is really, uh, you know, pushing already um, in terms of, uh, you know, Cody for the Heisman and All-American quarterback and, uh, you know, calling, you know, he's had the, the most uh, efficient quarterback in the country and had the best season of anybody coming back. You look at, uh, you know, Sua, you know, basically the five guys that they're really pushing hard for all the awards and all the, you know, All-American honors would be uh, Sua and Adore. Um, I, I guess Adore, they're, and these are little notes that I don't think we picked up on last year. Adori was USC's first three-way player since 1997. And uh, in that Notre Dame game where he started on both offense and defense, he's the first USC player to do that since uh, the late 1960s. Wow. Uh, 
there's a little notes that uh, took some, I guess, researching to do. So we didn't, you know, we didn't pick up on them, uh, you know, at the time. Uh, Sewer Cravens, for example, had the most tackles for losses uh, by a defensive back of any player in the nation uh, last year was 17. Uh, just a lot of little things. I know in the in the spring media guide, you know, Sark talks about, you know, Max Turk is absolutely the best center in the nation. We'll see. I mean, I you know, we've all talked about is there a possible, you know, switch in his future? Uh, I don't know what the best position is for Max going forward. You know, at 6'6", six, six and big, big, long arms, is, is center the best spot, you know, for him? Or, you know, is that the kind of thing where you take a look at, Toa Lobodon, I don't know, but uh, if they're, you know, touting him as the best center in the country, uh, it'll be interesting to to see where we go with that. And the fifth guy that they're really, uh, you know, promoting, uh, Juju uh, uh, Smith, as a candidate for um, uh, both the Boletnikoff Award and uh, All-American Honors. So uh, you kind of pick up on, on little things like that from the Spring Media Guide that, you know, decisions have been made as to, you know how this is how this is going and where it's going with uh, with this USC team. What do you think as far as the guys that are coming off injuries? How much are we going to see? You know, like Chad Wheeler. You mentioned, you know, maybe Turek goes out and left tackle or something because Chad Wheeler. Not sure what he's going to do. Trey Madden coming off the foot toe thing. Um, you know, Jabari Ruffin and and Lamar Dawson. There's a bunch of guys. You know, Kenny Bigelow. Do we expect to see a lot of them this spring, or we just don't know yet? I think they're, they're all different answers. I think Chad Wheeler, no. Uh, he, uh, it's a six-month rehab. He's three months into it. Um, I mean, he isn't wearing a knee brace, and you see him out there, you know, running around. He's not doing the real quick starts in that, but he's running steps and, and some things like that, you know, straight-ahead stuff. Um, but he's not going to push it, see where he is in the summer, see if that, you know, gets him back, uh, you know, in August. Uh, Lamar Dawson told me the other day he's 100%. I mean, he doesn't quite look 100%, but some of that might be just, you know, I mean, he was out there with the first group on, on defense the other day. So uh, he seems to be the farthest along. Um, Trey Madden said he looks like he'll be back maybe half of the time in spring ball. So, you know, a couple of weeks of spring ball ought to give him a sense of how that surgery on his uh, sesamoid you know, bone under, you know, to reattach that um, wasn't exactly turf toe. was a little more than that. Um, let's see. As far as Jabari Ruffin, he's got a big brace on it. He's doing uh, the drills and things like that. We haven't seen him out in team yet. He's bigger, stronger looking. Um, he certainly looks like he could play. I think he's un- – I don't think we determined exactly what his status is going to be uh, for the spring. So – and Kenny Bigelow, he was also, you know, he looks like he, every time you see him, he looks like he's way ahead of schedule, the way he's moving, the way he came back from surgery. Uh, but we don't get to see the defensive guys, you know, in the, in the throwing sessions. We certainly don't get to see the defensive linemen. And we're not allowed to watch, um, you know, when they're working, uh, you know, with the coaches on, you know, strength conditioning and practice kind of stuff. So uh, I think Kenny is – is up in the air in terms of where he will be. I mean, they certainly expect him to be back in the summer, uh, but where he'll be in the spring, I don't think we know yet. Yeah, it's, there's a lot of. Uh, I mean, I think there's a lot of questions kind of in the, to, coming in the spring, but a lot of really interesting storylines. Uh, one of the ones I want to see 
Uh, we talked about this a little bit when we put up the tenor Troy. If people want to check out Spring Ball Central, it's on uscfootball.com now. So links to everything, the schedule, the roster. I updated the entire uscfootball.com roster. So every player, all the walk-ons should be in there. Pictures of everybody. I think there might be one or two guys missing. I'm going to get pictures in them right away. But all that stuff should be updated so you can check that out. But uh, we're talking about the tenor Troy, like the more interesting players. And a uh, name that came up there is Isaac Whitney. Uh, he, I think he's one of the, the most interesting newcomer to watch just because I think he could have the biggest impact. But also, you had mentioned Stephen Mitchell. Really looks good. He's, he's played really well in these these winter workouts, and he could be that number two guy. So like kind of the battle for who's number two to, to Juju Smith, I think will be a really interesting one. Yeah, I think well, I like some of the stuff they're doing. They're doing combinations with Juju and, uh, and Stephen. Uh, lining Steven up in the backfield behind uh, Juju and forcing teams to make a decision. Do you double Juju or, or, or not? And if you don't, you know, he's probably got the advantage, size, strength, and what uh, against the corner if they go out and single cover him. If they double cover him, then they're going to probably have to cover uh, Steven releasing out of the backfield with a linebacker, and that's really a difficult uh, – I mean, that's a, that's a real difficult thing to do. So uh, it's a, 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 a new wrinkle that I really like the looks of it, and I like it that, that you know that they said, Stephen, we want you there. We want to get you the ball in space. And uh, he looks like that you know explosive kid that you remember from his films in high school, but he's now 190 pounds, and yet he still looks like – I mean, he says he's faster than he's ever been. He would uh, you know project himself as a high 4'3 guy now. Uh, so uh, – you know, I think there's a lot of potential there. I think Isaac Whitney, from the first time we saw him in winter throwing to now, has just come a long, long way. I mean, I think he was a little tentative, as you would expect somebody in, you know, from junior college the first time out and all that. But uh, he's showing me some things. He, I'm not, my guess is he's not 6'4". Uh, but, you know, 6'3 is still good size for a wide receiver. And uh, he's shown me, uh, you know, some physicality, some uh, – some hands made it probably the best catch of the day in their last uh, winter workout, you know, Friday. So uh, I think that's you're absolutely right. Although I think you know Darius Rogers and Jenny Harris, those guys are also going to be in the mix. I mean, I, I think the thing that has to happen this year is those guys all have to develop a rapport with Cody. You know, a sense of we'll be there. We'll make the cut. We'll make the break. We're going to be in the right place at the right time. You can trust us so that he has the ability to absolutely throw to any one of them in any situation as opposed to maybe, you know, being a little, you know, Nelson Aguilar heavy last year because you could depend. Nelson was the the most targeted guy in the country. Uh, uh, I mean, he caught the most passes percentage-wise for the times he was targeted of anybody in the nation. Uh, which tells you, you know, if he were, you know, in the route, he was probably going to get the ball. And I think that, you know, to be able to break that up and, and go to any of the three or four guys uh, is is a big key. So I think, that, you know, development in all those positions uh, is going to matter a lot. Uh, is there for you coming into the spring, is there something that you really just want to watch? Is there uh, the main kind of thing that, that you want to kind of learn, I guess, coming out of spring football for USC this year? You know, uh, if we knew how it was going to go into the fall, I mean, I, I do want to see because we know how they practiced last year in the you know in the spring and the summer and August, and um, it didn't exactly carry over. 
into, uh, you know, September after the Fresno State game. And I think if, if I could, you know, pick up on anything, it would be on, the, on Sark's unwavering um, will to stay with what I think is really a good system for USC and for the athletes they've got. And, um, uh, you know, I'd like to see that. Uh, if there's any way we can discern that, and I'm not sure. Second thing I'd like to see them do on offense is to really figure out their go-to run game so that you know if you're third and two on the 27 at Utah and all you need is a first down and you win the game, you can run the ball for two plays to win the game. That's the thing they got to figure out. How do we get you know, this young athletic offensive line, and they're more athletic, because if you look at Damian Mama at 360 pounds, you look at uh, Vianney Talamavaya at 323, those guys are more athletic than they were last year. They're not freshmen anymore. Uh, so uh, I just think figuring out the run game, making it uh, not too complex. They're still, you know, young guys. Uh, and, uh, and then the third thing is, and, and you pointed this out you know, during the season, the willingness of the defense to take chances, to go out, you know, to go out and make plays, to uh, allow the defensive playmakers, and there are there are a bunch of them, uh, to really make plays. And you have to take a chance here and there. And you have to, you know, you have to run some blitzes and you have to do some things. I think they need to be more willing to do that, and um, and we'll see uh, we'll see some of that That's, again. They're not going to show us everything they're going to do. And, again, just because you practice it doesn't mean you're going to do it. But uh, <laughs> I think those are more the things I'd like to see, uh, you know, in the spring, if we can get a sense of are they really going to stick to it and are they going to let their playmakers, you know, make plays. All right. Uh, so that's our little uh, spring football preview. Definitely check out uscfootball.com for, for more of what's going on there. We had a few questions to get to, Dan, if you don't mind. Uh, we'll, we'll jump on those, too. That'd be great. All right. Uh, let's go to Ted in Manhattan Beach, uh, my neighbor there, Ted. What's up? Uh, he said, always appreciate everyone making the time to make a quality podcast for all of us each week. Thank you for that, Ted. A uh, couple of questions about practices. He said, I've seen that at most practices, the quarterbacks may look down to where their receivers are. I don't think that Cody in particular does this as much in games as he goes through his reads. I have heard that in these practices, the leaders of the offense plan in advance with the leaders of the defense on which unit is going to try to get, or what each unit's going to try to get from a practice. Example, the, the defense watching the quarterback's eyes, things like that. Is, it, is this more typical that in practices, uh, maybe more specifically these informal seven-on-seven meetings, that the quarterback is not trying to look off the defense as much? And if so, is this as important and if so, uh, when might they work on this? Actually, I think they are doing some of that. I know uh, Anthony Sorrell, I guess it was Friday, was, uh, they ran uh, a couple of those duo little situations where they, had, uh, uh, they were freeing Stephen Mitchell up behind Juju. And Anthony is yelling at him and saying, you guys, are, you know, where where'd you get, come up with this new stuff, you know? Uh, and uh, and realize because he was the one very often who would be one on one in open space with Stephen Mitchell. 
So, uh, you know, they're, they're working more on that. I think it's, it's obvious. In the seven-on-seven, seven, I think they really do have to work on that. You better try to, you know, look a guy off. I mean, you've got more opportunity to do it because you don't have the big linemen, you know, between you. Uh, but uh, I think the other thing that you're seeing more is um, with a little more veteran group of defensive backs, or at least the young guys – have much more experience than they had last year. They were really raw last year. Uh, is that they're able to challenge the receivers more and are challenging the receivers more. And so it's just not an automatic throw if you think this guy's going to be open or that guy's going to be open. Uh, so, uh, and I, I uh, Leon McQuay was talking about that the other day of how much it's helped him to have a year going against Nelson Aguilar and now he's going against Juju and Stephen Mitchell. And I think that was the secret so much with Pete's teams is that kind of, you know, competitive practice uh, where you really force the other guy to get better. And if that means forcing the quarterback to, you know, look you off and, 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 and do that, um, I think this team has the ability to do more of that and, and push guys in practice. So, so I think they're actually – I'm seeing more of that where it's not just – you know, if it's a play with, you know, Nelson is the, the primary receiver, he's going to get the ball. Uh, I think now you've got more ability to spread it out. I've seen more more balls thrown to uh, Bryce Dixon if they can get him down a seam. Uh, and I think it took a while for them to, you know, to figure out, the, you know, the possibilities that and maybe never really got quite uh, there. But I think uh, uh, he and, uh, and having Dale and Cope Fitzpatrick back, who also gives you more of an H-back kind of a guy who can release lots of different ways in lots of different places. He's pretty flexible, uh, you know, uh, maybe do some things that maybe Randall, because of his, uh, you know, knee issues, couldn't quite do. Uh, I think they've got more ability to do that. Uh, he had a follow-up, Dan. He said, separately, a few podcasts ago, someone mentioned that the players were a bit casual and how they are catching balls during the drills. I've seen this too, though it appears that this is during the warm-ups. Also, with Cromwell being a short field, I feel like everybody takes precautions to stay in control to avoid running into the soccer goal or other equipment that's around them. Is that what you see? Thanks. Always keep up the great work, Ted in Manhattan Beach. Yeah, I think the, uh, the emphasis on on catching the ball is, is is amped up a good bit this year. I mean, they're doing a lot of sideline. And it's interesting too. I mean, there'll be a day where, you know, the emphasis is on – catching it two hands and just being really, really sure and safe. And then you'll see uh, a day where they'll go out there and say, let's, let's, we're all going to go and make one-handed catches. And this isn't just because, uh, you know, they're um, you know, trying to be, uh, you know, hot dogs or whatever. They're trying to actually work on uh, the confidence level that you have to have if you have to make a one-handed catch, you feel like you can do it. So I think actually we've already seen more of that this year you know, than last year. And some of that is, uh, is attributable to Juju. It's amazing. You know, kids just turned 18, you know, in the fall and, um, you know, hasn't been through a full year at USC yet. And here he is uh, kind of, <clears throat> you know, leading the way. But you'll see him out there and, you know, saying, okay, we're going to go for one-hand catches here. And um, I've been real impressed with their, uh, the sure-handedness. Uh, you, you don't see a lot of drops. All right, uh, Dan, we got a voicemail question wanted to play for you about some of the incoming freshmen. Here, let me play this. Here you go. 
Gentlemen, thank you for taking my questions. My name is George. Those that know me call me the G. I'm a long-time listener, first-time caller. I have a two-part question that has to do with the incoming freshmen, particularly those arriving in fall. A, are they given the playbook to study in advance of their arrival? B, are they given a workout or training regimen and a nutritional guide to follow so that they can prepare for the rigors of the fall camp and the upcoming season? Thank you, guys. Keep doing what you do. Fight on. Hey, welcome, G. Uh, great questions. Uh, glad you're here. Uh, I'll answer the second one first. Definitely yes on the second one. On the first one, I'm not sure. I mean, uh, I'm not sure you want playbooks in Utah, for example. Uh, I don't know. That's a really good question. I mean, I think, you know, there's a sense of here's what we want you doing. Here's how we want you doing it. Do they actually want them doing it with a real live USC playbook uh, in another state? I don't know. Uh, but I will find out. That's a good question. But as far as the you know nutrition and, and weightlifting and workout stuff and that, yeah, they really. Uh, I think they. There's no question that they've got those guys, uh, you know, with a program to get them ready so that you know the summer won't be. You know, they still have all summer once they get here. But I think they want to make the transition as easy as possible. So, uh, so yes on the on the second. Not sure on the first. Thanks, G. People will if we'll call you G if that's okay. Um, <laughs> but thanks for coming. Hopefully you uh, call in and, uh, and and send some more questions in. We appreciate that. A um, couple of things. Dan, one we had a question about basketball and uh, one more about Todd McNair stuff. So we'll kind of end the uh, show on that if that's okay. Early sure. West, early West LA. If we'll do basketball first. He said two conference wins last year, three this year, player discipline issues, and locker room fights. We seem to have some good players who can be competitive, and the missing ingredient appears to be coaching. I think Andy Enfield will get to ride the bus back from LAX after they get eliminated in Las Vegas next week, but I have a feeling Pat Hayden may no longer be willing to wait and see what happens next year. Too many empty Galen Center seats, too much fan unrest, too much student apathy, and growing player discontent. I really wish they had kept Bob Cantu. Didn't Cantu win more conference games in less than half a season than Enfield has in two years? Uh, that's Earl in West L.A. Not real happy with the basketball team. <laughs> um, if Earl represented the fan base, he might be right. I can tell you this. Uh, I went to the uh, uh, fan get-together before the, uh, uh, the Washington State game. And I was thinking back to my days covering Kentucky basketball. And if the head coach were to come in there with the record and the things that have happened at the end of games and all of that, he might not have gotten out of there, you know, in one piece. And uh, it's the most congenial, upbeat, friendly, happy group you've ever seen. And it reminded me, covering Kentucky, uh, they were happy as heck if the football team didn't get blown out. They were happy as heck if they won a game here or there. And uh, had no expectations. Even when the football team had some players and probably should have been winning games, they just didn't think, you know, football was anything that they should worry about. The, the, flip, the reverse is true at USC. If more fans were like Earl, the, the ride back from LAX on the bus might be, uh, you know, up up for grabs. Uh, I, I don't think it is. Um, you know, I, I think you have to give 
give Andy three years, even though the improvement from two wins to three wins is just so minimal and there were, you know, real possibilities for more than that. I mean, obviously Washington didn't have their, you know, all their players there, but USC didn't have Jordan McLaughlin either. And yet when you watch USC, when they're running and jumping, they're more athletic than most teams they play. They're skinny. They're not very, I don't, you know, they they really got to be serious about the weight, weight program, conditioning stuff, but they have some advantages, which they don't seem to be taking advantage of. And, uh, they did against a Washington team that just, you know, was pretty uh, unable to, to do much to, to help themselves. But, uh, but you're right. You know, there are, there is the unrest or, or you know, the, the locker room fight. Um, I mean, I can see how that would happen on a team that knows they ought to be doing better. And there is frustration. The kids that kind of got involved in that are two of the kids that, you know, do really, you know, care about, uh, about this team and this program. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, that somehow something is something's missing. There's no question. They don't look like they play with the kind of confidence that they ought to be playing with now. Uh, and if they don't have a sense of we know we are going to do the right thing, we know we've got the answer, and that comes that does come from the coach. And I think you know, I, I personally like Andy. I personally want to see him do well. I mean, the fans do clearly. I mean, they had 5,500 people showed up. Uh, for that last game, that's amazing. When you when you think about it, now the rest of the year the crowds haven't been very good, and it's uh, kind of a waste of you know that great facility when you're the you know 11th out of 12 in the Pac-12 in attendance. That has to change, and that would be more than anything um, the deciding factor. But I don't think it happens. Anything happens before. Before next season, and, and it, everything, you know, next season will be everything, I think, at this point, because um, they're going to have enough guys to be able to compete in the Pac 12, and they're not. All right. Uh, we'll look to see what happens. Last couple games for uh, USC basketball, but obviously it's not been a great season. Thanks for that question, Earl. We have one last one for you, Dan. Now that the California State Appellate Court has ruled against the NCAA from keeping the Todd McNair email sealed, what happens next? Are they likely to appeal to the state Supreme Court, or will they cave in and release the emails? I'm not sure they're going to do either of those. Uh, I mean, they may, they may appeal to the California State Supreme Court, which I think takes, uh, somebody said, takes 4% of the appeals, and is almost certainly not going to take this one. This would give them, an, they get an extra 10 days. They get 40 days to decide about <clears throat> what they want to do going forward on the emails, the NCAA. Do they want to pull the ones back that they put in evidence <clears throat> in the Andy Slap motion where they tried to get Todd McNair's lawsuit dismissed? Uh, from what I understand, uh, it doesn't matter whether they take their emails back or not. The ones that Todd McNair put in to the case are obviously the incriminating ones. Those are the ones the NCAA doesn't want you to see. I mean, it's really disingenuous for them to go up there and act like, you know, the ones they put in are you know going to hurt them or you know a, a real problem with the confidentiality in the case and all that. That's just that's just bogus. And they've been doing this for years and years, and very often getting away with it when courts, you know, kind of believe them or trust them or listen to 
oh, we need to be able to do this or, you know, we can't, you know, enforce the NCA rules and we can't catch the rule breakers. And then they go ahead and it's obvious they're not going to catch the rule breakers or enforce anything at all after the USC case. So <clears throat> I think, you know, their time has run out. Uh, so the one thing we don't know is the court ordered the attorneys <clears throat> to decide uh, how they're going to handle the emails. How that I talked to the people at the Court of Appeals. How that happens, how specifically that happens, they don't really know. Uh, and the attorneys really aren't allowed to talk to us. So uh, uh, I just don't think they've got much time. I think they've got 30 or so days, and something's going to have to happen uh, whether they appeal or not. You know? uh, and then I think there's a, you know, then they set a hearing date for the actual uh, appeal on the uh, on the LA Superior Court decision to not release the or not uh, excuse me to not dismiss the lawsuit. So then there'll be a hearing on that the way there was a hearing on the emails. How long when that'll be? I don't know. How long that's going to take? They're probably not going to win that. That's not going to happen. This case isn't going to get dismissed after what Judge Schaller said and and how thorough his opinion was and on, on what the evidence is. So at that point, the case gets remanded back to L.A., to the Superior Court, and they start moving forward. And at that point, uh, the NCA will have to give discovery, full discovery, to Todd McNair's attorneys. And they'll have a chance to sit down and depose people like uh, uh, Josephine Petuto of Nebraska and Missy Convoy of Notre Dame, all the people on the Committee on Infractions, and ask them, what did you know? What did you say? What did you think? How did this happen? What's going on here? That will be a really bad day for each of them uh, involved, and it will be a really you know, bad day for the NCAA. How the NCAA goes forward I don't know. I mean, if, if you think the little bits that came out in the Penn State case made the NCAA look bad, uh, I'm guessing the stuff that will come out in this case will make the NCAA just look, you know, it, it, it's going to be awful for the NCAA. So I'm not sure they can let the case go forward and go to trial in L.A., uh, and yet can the NCAA settle for what, you know, we're now going on to almost five years since they ruined Todd McNair's life, you know, and basically did it on false evidence. That's not going to play well in, 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 in court. So can the NCA come up with the kind of money, you know, it would take to settle this case? Uh, I don't think so. And even then, I don't think there's any ability, at least for the, uh, uh, the emails and the depositions that have already been taken and filed, there's no, I don't think there's any ability for the NCA to get those quashed and not released. So those are probably coming out no matter what. But it's the future, and I'm guessing, and this is just an educated guess, at the most 20% of that material has been filed, that there's another 80% or so of, uh, of information that could come out if, uh, if the case goes forward. And uh, I can't imagine the NCA wants that to happen, but I'm not sure they can they can settle. I mean, you could settle, you know, in a Jerry Tarkanian case, 
you know, two and a half million dollars was probably a lot of money back in those days, but the NCAA could finesse that. When you're talking about a number that's going to be way higher than that for Todd McNair, I'm not sure how the NCAA finesses that after telling everybody all these years that everything was fine. How do you go back and say, well, we need to dip into the, you know, the treasury for about 25 mil to settle this case. Um, and people, I think, and the members are going to say, what, just to protect the people on the committee from letting, you know, and the staffers from uh, people, you know, getting to know what exactly happened. Um, so how this plays out, I don't have any idea. It'll be interesting to watch. Uh, all right, well, Dan, thanks very much again. Uh, great stuff, and we look forward to seeing you out there at uh, Cromwell Field tomorrow for day one of USC Spring Football. But thanks again for coming on the show. Oh, I enjoyed it. Can't wait. Uh, should be fun. All right. Thanks for today, and thanks to Coach Harvey Hyde. Thanks to everyone tuning in. Hope you enjoyed the show, and we'll talk to you again next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 